This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's great to see you guys. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm really excited to share some time together with you. So welcome to New Life. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable. Uh, If you didn't grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and you'd like one, go ahead and grab that. If you didn't get a program on your way in, you're probably going to want to grab that because it's got some information about who we are and how we can partner with you. It gives you opportunities to take steps on this journey that you're on. So uh, go ahead and do that. And I just want to say I'm so glad to spend time with so many of you. Uh, there's something that God is doing really exciting in this church right now. And I can just, I can feel it. I can feel this sense of welcoming and partnership and us coming together and experiencing life that God has prepared for us. And if you're brand new on this journey, you're coming in at a great time. We are about to round the corner into our 20th year as a church. And we're, we're learning things, you know, like any teenager moving into their 20s. We've learned a lot through childhood and adolescence. And uh, while we don't feel like some teenagers entering their 20s, like we know it all, we do realize that we have learned some things. And so this teaching series we're in right now is talking about the things that we are learning on this journey about how to best partner with you as you experience growing in your confidence in God. But like I say, we're in, uh, we're in the winter right now, and winter is cold and flu season, obviously, and, and it's contagious. I don't know if you know this or not, but germs are contagious. And I've realized there's bad contagion, and then there's good contagion. And what I'm sensing right now is while some people might be homesick with the not-so-fun contagious stuff, the good contagious stuff like hope and joy and peace are pervading this community. One of the good contagious things that I experienced just a week ago was generosity. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you are surrounded by some of the most generous people in Sonoma County. We love to live beyond ourselves and give beyond ourselves, uh, not just in finances, but in our time, in our resources, in the way we serve. And I love that about this church. Uh, just about a week and a half ago, I was showing some pastors from the East Bay around our community and showing them how we turned a church building into a um, a center or a care place for people who had been displaced by fires. And as we were walking around, a gentleman came up to the door and he knocked. I'd never met him before. And I opened the door. He said, hi, my name is, and he shared his name with me. And then uh, he said, I was, I was cared for because my family was affected by the fires. We were displaced and you cared for us, but you also cared for so many other people. And I don't go to church. I don't go to your church, but uh, I would like to give a financial contribution to your church. Because of the way you were so generous to my family and so many throughout Sonoma County, I would like to be generous because your church is doing something great in our community. And I said, well, I'm not going to stop that. But uh, I'd like to invite you to actually come and join us as well. So I don't know, he might be in here today. I said, come and join us and you can do that. He said, I also want to give regularly and ongoing. Can I, can I give online regularly to your church? Because I believe in what you guys are doing for this community And it just kind of blew my mind. That is good contagious, you know? Generosity that is spreading throughout Sonoma County. And I'm telling you, that's what happens when we choose to live and experience all that God wants to do in us and through us is other people just catch on. And it spreads in this loving one another and serving one another and giving for the benefit of others continues to spread. That being said, I want to give you a chance to practice generosity, to be part of this movement that God is doing. I want to do two things as we start our time off together. One is I want to draw your attention to the programs, 
and the Start Here card. This is a way for us to stay partnered with you and you to stay partnered with us. And we like to give this to you simply so that if you have questions, if you want us to be praying for you, if you want to get partnered up in any of our ministry partnerships in the church, in the city, around the world, you could use this, pro, this, uh, this Start Here card to do that. So you would just put your name on it your email address on it, and then on the back, maybe a prayer request or an answered prayer or any area you'd like to get plugged in at the church. And in about two minutes, we're going to pass baskets. You can drop that into the basket. The other thing you can do is if you want to practice generosity, uh, you can text to give, you can give online, you can use the envelope in your program. There are tons of ways to do that. And your generosity is changing lives and it's contagious. And I just want to thank you for being part of this community and doing that. While you're getting your offering ready, because I know it takes time to put all those zeros on the check, so while you're taking your time to do that, uh, I want to tell you our team got back from India successfully and safely, and it was just great. Yeah, so very excited to have our team back. Uh, They were jet-lagged for quite a while. Its travel home was about 48 hours from the time they woke up to the time they actually got to their homes with just a little bit of sleep. Uh, And I want to share just a quick update the work that they were doing was so powerful. Uh, we were able to teach some pastors through a book of the Bible and train them. Uh, we were able to work the—there's a Hindu government that is in power in India right now that is not fond of Christianity. And so one of the reasons, if you were following any of our team on Facebook, that you pretty much only saw pictures of them doing really fun stuff and you were kind of jealous, like riding on elephants or going to the coast, is because they weren't allowed to post anything about the work they were doing for fear that the government might see what's happening and close things down. So, uh, but they did some really good work on helping this ministry in India, which works with an orphanage, a school, 30 plus churches, a training area for pastors, helping them figure out in a new political system, how do you function autonomously uh, when if stateside um, partnership is going to have to close down, if things continue to tighten up, how do we do that partnership long-term? And it was very successful. Uh, Our founding pastor, Ron, was there. He said, we had eight goals. We achieved 12 of them. And I said, I want you to be my new finance pastor with that kind of math. That's great. So yeah, they achieved 12 of their eight goals, which is very exciting. And I'm really happy about that. Uh, So just happy to have our team back. Hey, guest services team, why don't you come on forward? We're going to pass those baskets. You can drop in your offering. You can drop in your Start Here card and take a look at the screens as we continue our series together. Generally speaking, there's music with this. It goes something like this. There it is. So we're right in the middle of five things that God uses to grow your faith, which you could substitute the word confidence or trust in God. And that's something that, as a church, we want to help you do. See, we're here. Our, our vision is that we would help you grow in your confidence in Jesus, that coming to this space would help you trust God a little bit more, uh, believe in God a little bit more fully, ask questions and get real answers, that you would trust God enough and I would trust God enough that we would try things when God says them. We would be able to say to God, you know what, I'm not sure about everything. I don't know about floods, I don't know about animals getting into a boat, but I have just enough confidence, Jesus, in you that, that I'm going to take a step to try this thing that you're suggesting to try this thing that you're saying, 
Because everything Jesus says, he says for our good. There's nothing in there where Jesus says something for his good. God is not a selfish God in there to benefit him. It's always only for the good of his children whom he loves. And the reason I call us children is because Jesus refers to God as a heavenly father, this perfect, loving, caring father who only always wants the best for his kids. And here's the crazy thing about God. When we experience God's best in our life, it is contagious. It blesses people around us, and it begins to move outward in this in this love and hope and joy. And so what we're doing in the series is talking about five things that God uses. And over the last 20 years, as we've watched people come into the church and experience and explore this trust in Jesus, we've seen that there are five catalysts that God uses time and time again to grow our confidence or our trust in him. And the reason why I want to talk about it now is if you want to grow your trust in Jesus a little more, these five things are going to be part of your journey. And if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I was growing in my confidence in God. It was going up and to the right. And then at some point it just kind of plateaued and I don't know what happened. And you start asking questions. Is it me? Is it the church? Is it my spouse? Is it my kids? What's going on? Is it my life group? My guess is that when you plateaued, one or two or three of these things, these catalysts, might be missing. And so as we talk about them, I want you to be thinking, is this part of my regular rhythm of engaging with God? And if it's not, and you've plateaued, it could be that it's time to implement or try some new stuff. Let me tell you the five catalysts as we go through them. The first, I think is, uh, yeah, it's up on the screens, is practical teaching. If you asked 100 people, how did you grow in your trust in God? 99 would say, well, someone started telling me not just what the Bible says, but why it says that. They translated it into the 21st century to give me some context for actually what was happening and what it means for me today. And they didn't stop there. They went one step further and said, and here's something that you could do to apply the things that you're learning. And in fact, of all the ways Jesus could teach, this was the way he taught. He didn't teach through, uh, fully through a book of the Bible in the Old Testament. He took a passage and he said, this is what it says. And this is what it means. This is God's heart. And this is what we do with it. And he he says to people over and over again, he says to me and he says to you, if you want to grow in your confidence, if you want to build a foundation for your life, that when the, the storms of life begin to rage, you're not knocked over. Do the things that you're learning. Practical teaching is key. Then we talked about providential relationships and how relationships are key to growing our faith. If you asked 100 people, they'd say, somewhere in my journey, there was someone And I didn't even recognize it in the moment. It wasn't until I looked in the rearview mirror of my life that I saw, oh, that person, God used them to shape and form my confidence in him. And in fact, I was talking to a friend named Mike, and Mike said that there was a study that came out recently that said that that key relationships, good friendships, are actually a better indicator of a happier life and better health than diet and exercise, which is great news. (laughs) And so... His, his motto for 2018 is, better a Krispy Kreme with friends than a salad alone. Can I, can I get an amen on that? And the third one, this is what we're going to talk about today, is if you ask people, how did you grow? They'd say, well, I started doing these private spiritual practices. And I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. And the next one is personal ministry. If you ask people... What helped you grow in your trust in God? They said, well, I got outside of myself. I started living and giving and serving 
outside of myself. And wouldn't you know that when I looked outside of myself, my world enlarged a little bit and my need for God grew a little bit more. And then providential, uh, nope, it would be um, pivotal circumstances would be the last one. That's my typo, not theirs. And uh, they would say that I grew when I realized that there are certain things in life, some good, some bad, but there were certain circumstances in life. And in the midst of those circumstances, the words of Jesus became true to me that God really never will leave me or forsake me. That God who leads me to feel like I'm on top of the world in those moments is the same God who will lead me when I feel like the world is on top of me. And it grew my confidence in him. As we continue today, I want you to finish a phrase for me, okay? So get ready. I'm going to ask you to say something back. This is not a prank. I didn't tell everyone else to be quiet so that just you will talk. So don't worry. But I'm going to ask you to finish this phrase for me. Practice makes... Practice makes perfect. Yeah. That is such a lie. Isn't it? Who, I'm sorry. Who have you ever known who practiced and then was perfect? The closest we have of practice making perfect is my 85 Chicago Bears, and they barely missed it against the Miami Dolphins. One game. We do not cheer about that. We have a moment of silence. But, pra- hello. But we are very close, aren't we? This is lovely. Bam. I love it. These are some of my providential relationships. These are two people in my life group, and I love them, and they sat here because they were at a concert late last night, and they don't want to fall asleep. I know the truth. I don't even know where I was. Oh, yeah, that's right. Practice does not make perfect. Never has practice made perfect. What does practice make? And this is in your notes. Practice makes prepared. That's what practice actually makes. It makes us prepared. Why do we practice? Because we want to be ready for the game, don't we? We want to be in shape for the big game. We want to have the skill set ready for the game. I'll tell you about a practice I used to love. I played soccer through high school. I even ventured into playing soccer in my early 30s until I ruptured my Achilles tendon and realized that I am a fan of soccer now. In the words of Greece, not everyone can be an athlete, but everyone can be an athletic supporter. And so um, I am now just a supporter of sports, but I loved soccer practice. Loved it. I loved everything about it. I love playing in the heat. In Southern California, oh, so fun. I love playing in the rain, the two days a year that it rained in Southern California, because you'd do slide tackling drills and diving drills, and you'd be muddy. I loved it. Now, there were certain parts I didn't love, if we're totally honest. I didn't love uh, these things called gassers, where you had to stand on the corner and then sprint around the outside of the field in like 50 seconds. And if everyone on your team didn't make it, that one didn't count, and you had to go again. But I did those things. Here's why. Because I knew that they would prepare me for the game. Because I knew that in that last 10 minutes of the game, when everybody else was tired, that practice was going to be the thing that got me through. Practice makes prepared. And here's why this is so important. When you talk to people about things that helped them grow in their trust in God, to put their confidence in Him a little bit more, 99 out of 100 people will say that there were moments in my life when I began to, maybe someone taught me or someone showed me, but I began to have personal spiritual practices, things that I did on my own, on a regular basis, where my faith was not limited to someone on a stage communicating to me once a week the things of God. As good as that is, and as much as I loved that part and the music part and the community part— 
my faith began to expand and my trust began to grow when I started having these practices that prepared me. And what did they prepare us for? They prepared us to trust God. Spiritual practices are all about just preparing you and I to put our trust in God a little more. And when I say spiritual practices, it goes across the spectrum. I mean, we're talking about everything from, I don't know if you know this or not, but rest is a spiritual practice. That God, in the very beginning of the world, set up rest. And he designed us to rest, not just because it's really good for us. It is really good for us. Uh, You can always know if I practice something called a Sabbath. Sabbath is a day of rest. And uh, if you did not hear the teaching last summer on Sabbath, I did a series called Let Us, and it was, I think, six or seven weeks long. Three were on work, and three were on rest. I would really encourage you, go back and find that series and watch it about rest, because we live in a culture where we go, 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 but we don't rest, and it actually, it hinders us. But you can tell if I took a Sabbath, because when I get on stage, I'm a little bit more excited. I'm having a little more fun. I'm a little more rested, because I took what we call Think Binary Family Fun Day. And we haven't had Sabbath for about six weeks in my family. We were, we were uh, remodeling a house and doing a bunch of stuff. And yesterday we decided we're going to take Sabbath. No work, no laundry, no nothing. Just Think Binary Family Fun Day. And man, I'm so I'm pumped today. Like, I'm so rested because of that time. But that's a spiritual practice. Why does that have to grow our trust? Because that means we trust that God is still working on one full day, even when we're not. Think about it. That's terrifying to take one full day off of work. And I'm talking housework. I'm talking yard work. I'm talking work, work. It just, it grows our trust as we actually practice. So it could be things like engaging with God and reading the Bible. It could be things like serving. That's a spiritual practice. But practice prepares us because it helps us to trust God just a little bit more than we did before. And I want to talk to you about two spiritual practices today, that whenever you ask people what part of your practices helped you really grow in your trust, they'll always say these two things as they've walked with God. Now, there are other things. Again, there are a ton. In your life group this week, I'm going to ask you to brainstorm what are some spiritual practices that you've actually done on your own or in uh, in your life that were really good for you so we can brainstorm ideas. But for now, I want to talk about two. I could talk about a ton. And they come from Matthew chapter 6. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, in just a few verses, Jesus hits on three of four things that I think, if we practiced trusting God in these four areas of our life, it would lead to incredible freedom. In this little passage, Jesus talks about practices having to do with our food, because food's a big one for us in our culture, our time, because time's a big deal, our money, because money's a big deal for us, What he doesn't talk about is our sexuality. But honestly, that would be the fourth one that Jesus talks about in other areas. And I don't just mean the act, but I mean all of who I am. And if you and I practiced trusting God in those four areas, we're talking about our sex, our snacks, our money, and our meantime. If we just practiced trusting God in those four areas, oh my gosh, it would open the door. But Jesus is going to talk about two today or I'm going to talk about two, because two's all I have time to really do justice to. So I want to, I want to tell you right before I jump into this, um, a few things, a few caveats. There are a ton of practices that you could practice. I'm going to give you a few that I think are really, really good for us. And the first uh, thing, or the thing we're going to talk about today is not a Bible term, it's an American term. 
But if you talk to people who are followers of Jesus, they will say that somewhere in my life, I learned how to have a quiet time. And when they say quiet time, they just mean some time by myself where I got away and I read my Bible a little bit. So I renewed my thinking on the things of God. I centered my mind on God. And then I spent some time talking to God. I prayed. This is this is part of a quiet time. Again, this is not a biblical term. It's kind of an American term. We've just taken it. It doesn't have to be quiet. You can, you can be loud. You can sing and dance and, you know, whatever you want to do. But it's a private practice uh, that people would say that they did. And the second private practice we're going to talk about today, because Jesus talks about it, is money and generosity. Uh, and I want to say a few things before I even talk about generosity, because the minute I do, I know we're thinking things. So uh, here's what I would say. If you talk to someone who is growing in their trust in God, they will tell you that at some point they got really honest with God about money. Just really honest with God. Maybe they did it in the context of a marriage or a small group or housemates. But I'm telling you, at some point, God wants to talk about money, which is why Jesus talks about it over and over and and over again. Uh, So here's what I would say to you. As we talk about money today, if you get sort of a uh, in your chest, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it because trust or faith is a muscle. It's a muscle. And like all muscles, in order for it to grow, it has to be worked out. How do you work out a muscle? Well, you you work out so hard that it breaks the muscle down and then it rebuilds and it rebuilds stronger than it was before. And if you have an internal response, either to, when I say get up early and spend a few minutes with God, if you have an internal response to that, Pay attention to it. But more likely than not, you're going to have an internal response to what Jesus has to say about money. If you do, just pay attention to it. It could mean that that's a muscle that God wants to grow a little bit in you, and he's going to grow it by you taking a step to trust him a little more. And the third thing I'll say is this, and then I'll dive into it, I promise. Um, You can get angry with me. Absolutely, you have my freedom. You can blame me. Why does Kevin always talk about money? You You can blame me. Here's the thing. I didn't write it down. It's not my idea. In fact, I I don't necessarily even love the idea that generosity is a major faith-growing engine. I I don't love the the conversations that I hear about me when I talk about this. I don't love the prayers on the card that say, like, dear God, please help us not talk about that till next year. You know, like, (laughs) I don't think God's going to hear your prayer. Um, But I didn't make it up. Jesus did. He says that money and faith are intimately tied together. And at some point, if you want to grow your faith past a certain level, you're going to have to get honest with Jesus about your money. Okay, that's enough of a build-up. Let's dive into what Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, uh, and I'm going to start with verse 1, even though it's not on your notes, because I want to just give us a little prereq to it. It says, he says, be careful that you don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward by your Father in heaven. And when Jesus talks about acts of righteousness, this is why I want to tee this up. He's specifically talking about private spiritual practices. And he says, do them in private because they are private spiritual practices. Don't let everybody see it, because while there might be a community component to it, while we might receive an offering here at church, while we will be reading the Bible together and talking about it here, there's something fundamentally private. And if it only stays in the public sphere, even if we practice it, it's never actually sunk down to a place where it grows our trust in God. So he says, don't do it in a way 
that you'll be seen by other people. And then he's going to go on to say, if you do these practices in private, God will reward you. Now, you might be here and say to me, Kevin, I don't do it for a reward. Well, too bad. God's going to reward you anyway. That, that just is the nature of these practices. And, and again, I didn't write it, but I'm going to tell you this is what he says. Jesus says this in verse 2. When you give to the needy, and what he's talking about here is something specifically in the first century called almsgiving. And what people would do is they would head to the temple, which is where they worshiped God, because they believed God kind of dwelled uniquely and specifically there. And they'd go and they would worship God. And on their way, people would be lining the roads begging. And what they would do is they would just give out money to people as they were begging on their way in to worship God. This was not their, their tithe, the first 10% that goes back to God. That actually already went to the temple to run the temple, to pay the priests, to keep things going there. In fact, at Jesus' time, devout Jews usually gave around 10 to 20% of their money back to the temple, which was kind of like an unofficial tax. So this is above and beyond that. Again, this gets to the heart, not the tax of it, the heart of it. And it's hard to wrap our minds around, but but this is what they were doing. They were giving to the poor beyond their giving to the church. And he says this, when you, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Saying there were people who would, with a lot of fanfare, give out the money so we'd all look at that. Hey, look at Bill. You know, look at Bill. He's so generous. Bill, he was given Lincolns, and now he's given Benjamins. First he gave Jeffersons. He's moving on up. Bill is so generous. Oh my gosh, look at Bill. He's great. And Jesus says this. If Bill's goal is to be praised by people, Bill just got what he was looking for. He's gotten his reward. People praised him. Yay, Bill, moving on up. So generous. You're the best. Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> If that's the reward you want, that's the reward you get. Jesus says, but I have a better reward for you. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And then if you do this, it's a conditional clause here. If you do this, your father, and he's talking about God because Jesus always referred to God as a good heavenly father. Your father, I want you to underline this, sees he sees what you are doing in secret, and he will reward you. Let that sink in for a second. Your Father in heaven, when you practice generosity, sees it. You might ask me, Kevin, how does he see it? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not God. But Jesus says he does and he will reward you. Well, Kevin, what's the reward? Well, I don't know, but here's what I do know. It's God giving the reward. So it's not going to be bad. You know what I mean? It's not like you wanted a, a, you know, a Corvette for Christmas, and you got a remote-controlled Corvette instead. It's God. He's not going to be chintzy with his reward. We don't actually know exactly what the reward is. You can infer from other spots where Jesus talks that something about this reward is honor. That somehow God honors a generous person and gives honor to them. Kevin, are you saying that if I give, God's going to reward me? No, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. I didn't write it. I, 
I'm literally just reading. You're reading the same thing. I didn't make that up. Now, let me say this. If you're here and you don't regularly practice generosity, my guess is it's not that you don't love God. Or maybe you don't love God, and that's okay, but, but if you're a Jesus follower, it's not that you don't love God, and it's, it's not primarily that you're stingy. It's not that you don't care about people. If you're here and you don't regularly practice generosity, my guess is that you don't actually have confidence that what Jesus says right there is true. That your faith muscle has not grown to that spot. And again, does it make you a bad person or a stingy person or a bad Christian? It just means that your confidence in God has not grown. And God eventually wants to grow your confidence in him. Remember, this is primarily a faith issue. It's not primarily what this does for others, although this does great things for others. It's primarily about what it does for our trust in God. Here's what I mean by that. If you talk to anyone, religious person, non-religious person, Christian, Jew, Muslim, New Age, every single person is going to say, I trust God 100% with what happens to me after I breathe my last breath. Everyone will. After I breathe my last breath, I trust God. He, she, it, whatever you call God. I trust God 100% with everything that happens to me after my last breath. Why? Because you don't have a choice. Like, what else are you going to trust? You're dead. And Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the New Testament is, if you trust God with that moment— From that moment back to this moment, the thing that every single one of us is tempted to place our trust in is money. Every single one of us. Because money provides security and confidence. When we're low, when we buy something, money brings us temporary joy. And so Jesus, throughout his teaching, and the writers of the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, they keep coming back to this idea— If you're going to trust God with that moment where you have your last breath beyond because you can't do anything about it, then we want to help you switch your allegiance over from money here to trusting God here when you can make a choice about it. And so what does Jesus do over and over again? He messes with our money. He just messes with it. He says, listen, I want you to put your confidence in me, so I'm going to mess with the thing where your confidence is. And I'm going to ask you to give me just a little bit of your money. Just a little bit. 10%. 5%. 8%. 20%. Just, just give me a little bit of your money. You can keep the most of it. Why? Because I want to show you that you can trust me. And if we don't regularly practice generosity, I'm telling you, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not. It's just that your confidence in God has not grown in that area yet. But eventually, if you follow God long enough, He's going to come for your checkbook. Why? Because he wants to grow your confidence in him. And then Jesus moves on. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Right? It's like, oh gosh. Finally. And then he messes with something. See, we think money is our most valuable resource, don't we? He messes with something that's even more valuable than money. Money is not your most valuable resource because you can make more money. You can lose it all and gain it all back. Time is your most valuable resource because you cannot get it back. So Jesus goes on to mess with our time. He says this, when you pray, verse five, 
Do not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. They have these big, long prayers. The religious leaders would like practice and recite these prayers and they'd get done praying and no one would know what they said, but we'd all say, oh my goodness, that was a good prayer. Nailed it. You nailed that prayer, religious leader. Was God listening? I don't know. We all got lost. We tuned out for a while, but it was good. He says, don't pray like that. Truly, I tell you, people who pray like that have received all their rewards. And again, Jesus connects prayer to rewards. So you're saying, Kevin, if if I pray, God's going to reward me? Well, yeah, Jesus seems to say that. Well, what's the reward? Well, I don't know. But God is the one giving it. I can tell you, from experience, and if you asked people who spend time with God regularly, reading the Bible, praying, they'll say part of the reward is an increased sense that God is with them, that God is actually here, that God's not some distant deity out there, but God is actually right here present. They'll say that's at least part of the reward. So he says, I want you to take your most valuable asset, your time. I know you think it's your money. Money might be second, but time's really your most valuable asset. And I want you to give me a little bit of it to show your trust in me. Verse six, when you go into your room and pray, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There it is again. He will reward you. This is your way and my way of saying to God, God, if an emergency happened right now, if I got a call that a loved one was in the hospital, If someone got into a car accident, shoot, if I got a flat tire and it was raining, I would immediately stop and pray because of an emergency. And God, if I'm going to stop and give you my time in an emergency, I'm going to choose to give you some of my time when it's not an emergency as a way of communicating my trust in you. Just a little bit of time. All right, let me lay on the plane. Yeah, it's a good time to land the plane. In this series, we're talking about five things God uses to grow your faith. Some of them you can't do today. You can't guarantee a providential relationship will start today. You just can't. You can't go into the lobby and say to somebody, Gail, I think we should have a providential relationship. That would be so awkward. Gail might never come back to church. Poor Gail. She was in the front row, and now she's gone. We don't want that to happen to Gail. We love Gail. Don't do that to Gail. She is my providential relationship. (laughs) Find your own. But you can't guarantee a providential relationship. You can't guarantee a pivotal circumstance, good or bad. But you know what you can do? And I mean today, you can give God a little bit of your time. Today, and it'll grow your faith. You can give God a little bit of your money. Today. And it's a practice that will grow your faith. So here's my challenge to you as we walk out these doors. Because remember, when Jesus taught, he said, here's what it says. Here's why it matters to us. And here's something you can do with it. Let me give you a challenge today. Something you could do with this. For the next 30 days, just for the next month, 30 days, would you give God your first few minutes? Your first, let's say 15. 15 minutes. Sometimes spiritual practices mean saying no to something we want so we can say yes to something we ultimately want. 
Some of you are saying, I'm not a morning person. I, I can't give God my first 15 minutes. I can barely drag myself out of bed to get to work in the morning. I get it. Here's why I would say your first 15 minutes. It orients your mind around God for the day. Give him your last 15 minutes as well. That'll orient your mind around God for sleep. That's great. Give him the first 15 minutes. And that means you might have to say no to something that you want, like binge watching another episode of The Crown. So you can go to bed on time and say yes to something you really want, which is getting up a half hour earlier to spend 15 minutes with God. Because there's no way that first 15 minutes is going to give God any sort of your time. It's barely making coffee. But once you got your coffee, I'm telling you, caffeine and the Holy Spirit are a great one-two punch for spending time with God. Get your coffee. Get your Bible. Be nice and quiet so the kids don't wake up. What if you gave God your first few minutes for the next 30 days? If you don't know where to start, I want you to write down U version, U version on your notes. Just write it down. Get the U version app. It's a Bible app. You can get it on your phone. They've got reading plans for everything, like literally everything. Find a reading plan, just start reading it. It'll give you some place to start. And then what if for the next month you gave God your first few dollars? Your first few dollars. Pick a percentage. I would encourage you, boy, if you really want to take a big jump, just start with 10, 10%. That's a big jump. But if that's like, no, I, no, dear Lord, no. It's okay. God will grow that muscle. Pick 8%. You make a dollar, give God a nickel. Give God a dime. What if for the next month, every dollar that came in, whatever that percent is, you just gave it back to God. And then you just were aware of what was going on in here in the process. I'm telling you, it'll spark some great conversations with you and God about priorities, about money, about security, about care, about debt, it'll spark all sorts of great conversations. For the next month, your first few minutes, your first few dollars. Listen, if you don't trust me, we've never met. I get it. If you don't trust me, don't give to the church. I think the more you get to know me, the more you'll trust me. Give somewhere, though. I'm not so concerned with it going here. Give to something close to God's heart, something you do trust. Don't let me be the factor that stops you from putting your confidence in God just a little bit more over the next month. Here's what will happen if you do these things. Your heavenly Father, who sees what is done in secret, somehow will reward you. It's a promise. And the benefit of that is it will grow your confidence in God. Just something that we all want just a little more anyway. 30 days, your first few minutes, your first few dollars. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this is big, and there are so many things we could talk about with private spiritual practices. I am struck that you come back to these two over and over and over again because there's something about these valuable resources of time and money that you really want to have interactions with us around. So would you help us to trust you just a little more with a little bit of our time, a little bit of our money? In the process, would you spark great dialogues between you and us, between us and those closest to us, God, would you help us to place our confidence in you a little more? And would you do the thing that you promised, which is in some way reward our heart in trying? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.